Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Morgan McGilvray. He is head of office leasing at Santos Knight Frank here in Manila, Philippines. Morgan is without doubt the go-to expert for anything to do with commercial property in Manila and the Philippines. You might be wondering if you're listening from somewhere other than Manila, why we are doing an episode on commercial property. But the outsourcing industry and the commercial property sector are so interconnected in the Philippines that uh, the two are very much, or certainly the success of the two very much go hand in hand. The Obviously since COVID, there have been shockwaves going through the commercial property sector. And I wanted to catch up with Morgan to get updates on how commercial property is going in the Philippines. Uh, and also he has great insights generally into the outsourcing industry and the health of the industry, both in terms of outsourcing and also commercial property. So really, really interesting conversation with Morgan McGilvray. As always, uh, if you need any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Morgan, you are the property man I always turn to if I want to know uh, about Manila property, of course, commercial office property. Uh, And I thought it would be a good time to get you back on the pod to give us all updates about the property scene. Of course, we're hopefully now fully emerging from COVID uh, and hopefully seeing some sort of economic recovery from that. We've also had uh, back-to-office mandates by PESA. Uh, so, you know, it's it's looking kind of, it's an interesting kind of landscape. Meanwhile, a lot of, uh, a lot of BPOs have seemingly gone full-time remote. So 
really interested to to hear your opinion on the on the property landscape at the moment yeah there's really a lot to consider and there's issues upon issues of which hopefully we'll get to break down a lot of the most important ones let's do it so first of all morgan let's get your perspective on on how property is going so just to put it in context we're talking about manila in the philippines heavily driven of course by the outsourcing industry and of course heavily impacted recently by covid how how has the property market been in the last kind of six to, to 12 months yeah, six to 12 months, it has been pretty rough on the property market. And you could go all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020 and say that the market here, like many markets around the world, in fairness, pretty much got rocked by COVID, by the lockdowns and everything that uh, was associated with them. So we were, let's say, in the first quarter of 2020, when things were normal, this market had a vacancy rate of single digits, I think is around six or 7%. It had been that way for most of the 2010s. It's one of the hottest markets in the world, definitely a landlord's market, just because there was so much demand for office space here, mostly driven by the BPOs. And then over the course of the about two years, so from about, let's say the second quarter of 2020 through the end of even the first quarter of 2022, we saw that vacancy rate go from 6% to what I think is about 30% right now. So we're talking about millions of square meters of vacant office space uh, in a pretty short period of time. So a pretty wow. massive transition driven by some downsizings. Um, the pogo industry, which we'll probably talk about kind of just basically being cut in half and, and flying by night out of the country in general. And then also just the new stock pipeline, which was slightly delayed by the lockdowns and COVID, but otherwise kept going. And so you keep getting these big buildings being delivered as new supply right at a time when no one was looking to lease space for a variety of reasons. And so you kind of combine those three factors and you can go from 6% to 30% in a short period of time. So it, it has been a little rough. Gosh, that's pretty scary, isn't it? Pretty scary. And um, how much of it is... So what is the impact of that? Have, have we seen... I mean, that's tremendous shift in terms of occupancy and, and then I suppose demand as well. Like, what is, what is the effect on the market? Does that create a lot of softening in prices? Are there, um, are there, are there people defaulting now? Are there landlords in distress or is it still business as usual? I think from the landlord side, it's been mostly business as usual. I think one of the unique aspects of the Philippine property market is that the developers are almost all big conglomerates with very deep pockets, with banks, etc. And they don't default as easily as landlords would in other markets. Um, and so the big guys, you know, the Ayala's, SM's, Robinson's, they've hung in there, uh, but they've probably missed revenue targets on quite a few of their projects. Um, I know a lot of them issued REITs as well. I'm not sure that all those REITs are doing great. That was kind of unlucky timing on that. Mm -hmm. But generally, they've held in there. We haven't seen like a wave of big defaults or anything like that the way I, I might have expected in other markets. However, because of the kind of the market going from a landlord's market to a strongly tenant's market in a short period of time, yes, we did see that uh, rental rates dropped a bit. Um, 
Negotiated rental rates, and there's a big difference, negotiated rental rates dropped significantly. And what I mean by that is, you know, if a landlord wants a thousand pesos per square meter in asking rent, and you normally negotiate them down, let's say 10% in normal times, well, maybe now we can negotiate them down by 30% uh, because of the change in the market and this and that. So even though all the posted rents in the market didn't necessarily drop by that much, maybe let's call it 5%. Underneath the surface, when you're actually doing the negotiations, you'll find is that you could push pretty hard on most, most of these buildings and, and get a very favorable rent for a tenant. And that was directly because of you know the changing market conditions, oversupply in most of our CBDs, a lot of competition for very few new leases. And so uh, if you were a tenant looking for space or renewing, you really uh, you, you found a good market. Uh, unfortunately, there were just very few tenants looking for space during most of the pandemic period. Yeah. And where do you see this going? I mean, because it, it really has turned a corner in terms of the demand for office space, do you think? Like there are, maybe we can speak about this in a minute, but some of the biggest BPOs in the countries are now sort of forced to make this decision on returning back to the office. And was it Concentrics that put their foot down and made a decision that they're going remote? Like it's um, offices only 10 years ago were an absolutely essential part of running a business, whereas now it's kind of optional, isn't it? And it's an expensive option. Yes. So I think one of the long-term effects we'll see coming out of the pandemic is that this kind of hybrid working is here to stay with most firms. Um, and I, I think that the ratio I'm kind of seeing is about 60 to 70% of the pre-pandemic footprint is what a lot of companies think they're going to need going forward. In other words, they might be able to do as much work with the same headcount, but with only maybe 60 or 70% of the office footprint. Um, and so, and that's, you know, that's work from home, that's uh, work from office only a few days a week, that's hot desking, that's a lot of different factors in action. Some of them actually, which do predate the pandemic. So we were seeing hot desking and, you know, this non-assigned permanent desking, et cetera. We were seeing that even pre-pandemic, but the pandemic just accelerated it. And it also taught firms that they could probably, a lot of jobs could be, you know, done partially from home, partially from the office or in some cases uh, from home permanently. Um, but I do think that uh, coming out of the pandemic, management of a lot of firms have figured out that not everyone can work from home all the time. I think that mm -hmm. uh, there are some laws saying, you know, you need to bring people back into the office. But I think even if it's kind of not said out loud, management of a lot of firms do want to start bringing some people back in. I think there are some productivity concerns in some cases. There's definitely information security and other concerns um, as well. And so what I think going forward is, yeah, firms are probably going to take less space with the same headcounts, uh, but that doesn't mean they'll stop taking space altogether. I think mm. if the headcounts grow for especially the Philippine BPO sector, so if American companies, say, put 500 more seats in Manila, the Manila branch of the BPO, they're going to have to grow. But whereas maybe, you know, they used to grow, um, by, let's keep it easy, 500 seats equals 5,000 square meters of new growth. Mm. Now maybe 500 seats means 3,000 square meters of new growth. So it will have that effect. Got it, got it. And how is that affecting the, the new builds then? Have all commercial build projects been put on hold now? I mean, obviously the ones that were, that were 
due to be delivered had to be followed through. But are you seeing plans for new buildings go up or have you really seen that stunted? Yeah, I, I think that's slowing down quite a bit. Uh, anything with kind of shovels in the ground uh, is going to happen. Um, but, you know, if we might be hearing about on paper buildings, you know, set to complete five, six, seven years from now, we probably won't hear about a lot of those in Metro Manila anyway for a while. I think they can look at the market and pretty easily say we've got ample supply to cover demand, even kind of healthy demand for a good probably four to six years uh, based on projections. So what the big developers are doing is they're still going to build out the provinces. And that makes a lot of sense to me because the provinces, a lot of them are probably still underserved with regard to office supply. And so a lot of the new projects I see announced from the big developers are happening in these kind of tier two, tier three cities, um, Iloilo, Bacolo, Davao, uh, et cetera. Because uh, those places have a lot more room for growth, I think. And that was a trend that predated the pandemic, but again, might be accelerated a bit by the pandemic. Yeah. Do you see that? Do you see that accelerating or regressing? Because the, a lot of the reason for going out to the provinces was that Manila was getting so overheated and also the government was encouraging people because of that overheating to to go out into the provinces. And do you, do you see that that might reverse or do you think that with the move toward remote and people returning back to their homes and then actually there's going to be more demand for provincial A-class office space. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I, I think that, as you said correctly, a lot of BPO agents who lived in Metro Manila went home for the pandemic lockdowns, uh, went back to their home provinces and probably enjoyed being there for the last two years or so and probably would look for employment in the area if such existed. And so I do think it actually speeds up the process of more and more kind of development and office leasing in these other cities. Got it. And I know you're not really connected to this, but what do you, do you have any visibility on residential or retail? Has the whole market been shocked or do you just sort of see the, the, the impact specifically in office space? Yeah, I, you know, I, I see a bit of it, although probably not too much more than what you'd see as another person who just lives here and can observe. Um, one distinction I do make is that uh, when the original lockdowns happened, if you remember, uh, the government did gave, give relief to retail uh, tenants, right? So they kind of said, look, if you've got a shop in a mall, uh, we're going to give kind of a rental moratorium to you. Um, I'll keep it high level, but I'll say generally there was some rent relief involved with retail type tenants. Uh, that was not the case with office. And so office tenants kind of kept paying rent through the whole time, even though they weren't using their offices. Retail tenants got some relief, but eventually that even that ended. Um, and so I, I would imagine, you know, even if it's anecdotal, I look at the ground floor space in the residential villages and in the office buildings. It used to be so tough to lease out ground floor space in an office building. Usually all the banks wanted the space, a 7-Eleven, um, maybe a you know a little package courier company, something like that. If you had a restaurant concept, if you wanted to do a gym on the ground floor space, good luck to you. You'd have to pay a small fortune if you could even find available space for lease. That has certainly changed in a lot of markets. Now I see a, full, a lot of four lease signs on the ground floor of office buildings, residential buildings, you know, just kind of high traffic retail areas. That part has changed quite a bit. 
That suggests to me that retail's not doing great and not bouncing back quite as quickly. Uh, I don't have the mall's data, although I'd, I'd suspect the same. Uh, just based on kind of following that logic. And um, I think you and I know, you know, these these Amazon-esque package delivery firms such mm. as Shopee and Lazada are becoming incredibly popular. And that sometimes saves you a trip to the mall. And I think Filipinos are generally getting very used to using those services. And so that's not necessarily great for on-site retail either. Residential... It's attacked by every, every side, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. People's working trends have changed but now also their shopping trends have changed as well scary yeah and so what about uh what about residential i'll be careful because i know even less about the residential market other than to say i think a lot of people were surprised that residential prices didn't really collapse during the pandemic um especially house prices high-end condos etc and again i would i would kind of attribute that to a lot of wealthy owners who just could could you know wait it out? Uh, they weren't going to go personally bankrupt if they didn't have a tenant uh, in their you know house that they're renting out, or didn't have to sell to avoid vacancy up anything like that. So that market held pretty firm. I think that just as before the pandemic, there probably was a bit of a soft spot in kind of the middle income and lower income high volume condo projects, of which it's been tr- tough to get tenants in those. Um, or even buyers of units recently for a long time. And again, that kind of predated the pandemic. So I think, you know, if you were looking to rent or to buy, you know, a, a studio 30 meter or even like maybe a one bedroom 50 square meter in a lot of these massive residential projects here in Metro Manila, I think it's your market as a buyer or as a renter. Um, but on the high end, you know, house prices, all that stuff, I didn't see the needle move very much at all. And I do think that's just kind of because of the unique nature of uh, a lot of the property owners in this country. Yeah, it's a strange, it, it sort of splits out the market, doesn't it? I suppose the working class, if they're not needed in the big city so much, there's going to be quite a lot of, quite a significant softening of the of the average condos and those those high density living Whereas the the sort of wealthy set, uh, they they probably even got a little bit wealthier over the COVID. So uh, it's it's kind of splitting out the market quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, Crazy. exactly. And Morgan, then so the two main levers for commercial office space was uh, or influences were the BPOs and of course the Pogo market. And that uh, over the COVID period, actually, that was that was on again, off again with the Pogos. Uh, the Pocos being the um, Philippine uh, online gaming. Uh, and so do you have any insights or updates where the Pogo is now? Are they flooding back into the market? Are they flooding out or where are they now? Yeah, that, that Pogo market has gone kind of sideways for the most part over the last, let's call it 12 months. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, we had seen, you know, a, a complete bull market in Pogo. So we'd probably seen over a million square meters leased in this to this Pogo sector in a very short period of time, let's say late 2016 through the end of 2019. And then within just those first few months of the pandemic, when the borders closed, et cetera, um, we saw something like probably 20 to 30 percent of the market just kind of walk away from their from their leases overnight. Um, And that was a combination of firms just kind of, I think, shutting down. Some of them uh, decided to just leave the Philippines and go to another country um, where they liked the incentive packages better. I know that uh, the, the 
pandemic kind of coincided with some changes to the tax legislation uh, that regarded POGOs and some of the POGO operators just felt like they weren't profitable operating in the Philippines anymore under the new tax guidelines, which are trying to be implemented. So it was a combination of things, but it was it was quite a shock to the market. And again, it, it added a lot to kind of that vacancy supply uh, when somewhere and we don't I don't really have a comfortable number, but somewhere between probably 250,000 to up to 400,000 square meters, which is again, geez, 250,000 is probably six or seven large office buildings worth of space. So somewhere between maybe six to 15 office buildings worth of tenants just kind of left the market in a very short period of time. And they didn't come back, right? They couldn't come back because the borders were closed. And most of these POGOs were staffed by mainland Chinese who would come over here and work. And those uh, the mainland Chinese couldn't get back in because of pandemic restrictions. But even if they could come back in when the borders opened up, you know, the, the government here kind of had to make sure that uh, these workers were brought, being brought in the right way. They were properly documented, paying taxes, et cetera. Um, and so it's a lot slower and more deliberate process to get the mainland workers back in here, even if you wanted to. And I'd say kind of before 2020, as we kind of saw in the newspapers, a lot of the workers were coming here under tourist visas and other kind of uh, gray area, if not illegal entry strategies. Um, and a lot of those venues got closed down uh, as they got discovered. And I say all this because the borders are back open. Pogo's probably got the best presidential candidate elected that they could wish for in Bong Bong Marcos. He's probably, of the candidates, he's probably the most likely to allow the Pogo's to continue to operate as the Duterte administration did. So you would think there's a lot of kind of green lights for Pogo's to come back in. And we probably will see a little bit of a rebound in that Pogo market and see some new leases again. But I just still think the staffing is the big constraint. And I don't think that is going to change very much. So we're not going to see a revival of POGOs, though, certainly the way we saw in 2017, 18, and 19. It'll probably be modest at best. And then also, you know, the Chinese government has never been a huge fan of this industry being in the Philippines in the first place. And I think they're being quite tough on anyone they catch working in the POGO industry over here. And so that's another deterrent to get the workers uh, from mainland China to come in here. I'll end by saying, I guess one of the little workarounds that the Pogo operators here are trying, from what I hear, is to bring in Mandarin-speaking uh, nationals from other countries, such as Thailand, Malaysia, Taiwan, etc., uh, who aren't under the jurisdiction of the, the CCP, let's say, and can come over here and work these Pogo jobs and speak Mandarin, as is required for most of them. But in terms of getting a critical mass of that kind of worker, I don't think you can do that. I think that there's just too few that you could convince to come over here. And so that's going to make it uh, pretty tough for the industry to grow again. Got it. So it seems that that sort of Pogo is is a flash in the pan now. Like it, it seems that that whole boom has, or certainly the door has now closed. And it seems that the government, they, they were trying to sort of, I suppose, adjust the process. I mean, before it was really being abused and they weren't really paying the taxes they were meant to pay and they weren't really following the procedures. And it seemed that it had been tightened to a point that made it... Um, oppressive for the pogos but now obviously with covid and uh just generally sort of less friendly environment towards them they've, they've kind of moved on you know, and it doesn't seem that the philippine economy will 
it was a double-edged sword, but they're not now going to get a lot of that uh, economic stimulation anymore from the POGOs. Yeah, I would say that's exactly it. Um, and so, you know, that leaves the government without some some revenues. Um, it leaves some landlords, especially those who leased, you know, entire buildings out to POGOs, uh, kind of a high risk, high reward kind of tenant. Some of them, you know, got abandoned and are, are sitting now with big empty buildings uh, where a POGO used to be. Yeah, because, I mean, there were, there were people that were actually building in entire sort of encampments for the for the pogos weren't they like entire sort of living working kind of shelters like uh, a lot of infrastructure went into that little uh boom time i suppose but it's it's uh, it it left as quick as it came yeah that's right little uh little chinese ecosystems pasai city had a lot of them but we saw them in other places pop up as well office space dormitory uh, Chinese retail, you know, hair salons, mini marts, etc. Uh, just little pockets uh, built around, you know, the pogo industry. It was interesting. Crazy. And so, one part of the other big news is the return to work mandate, which is it's, it's to be enforced by PESA. And it's not that PESA is necessarily a huge fan of it, but they're effectively obliged because of the the way the taxation law is written. Uh, and so that's causing some drama and debate amongst the, the BPOs and is forcing the hand of many BPOs to actually, uh, I suppose, draw a line in the sand as to whether they are going to return to office or sort of establish themselves as a remote organization. Do you have any insights into that situation and, of course, like the impact then on the, the property sector? Yeah, so a couple of things to say about that. The first thing I, I can say with some certainty is that new entrants to this market, so BPOs that haven't existed here and are trying out the Philippines, we will see very few of them, if any, joining the PESA program anymore. I just don't think the incentives are there. The tax incentives aren't there. Uh, having to adhere to kind of work from office standards and also having to lease in POGO, or excuse me, PESA accredited buildings. Um, that's just probably not worth it to, to most new entrants. So they won't go into PESA anymore. They can go into a BOI program, uh, which is less restrictive um, and which we could get into, but generally not into PESA so much anymore. So where what that leaves us with is kind of the firms that are already in PESA that are uh, receiving the benefits, especially the income tax holiday, the 5% income tax rate. Uh, and other things. Uh, so these firms, of course, build their business models in a lot of cases around having those uh, tax breaks. It makes them profitable here, much more so than, let's say, other markets when they're getting the incentives. But as you said correctly, you know, nowadays going forward, um, those firms also, you know, are listening to their employees and their employees say, look, we want hybrid working. And maybe they're figuring out, yeah, we only want to bring in 60 or 70 percent of our workforce at a given time whereas used to we used to bring in a hundred percent um we're hearing what our employees are saying so we want to give up office space and let people work from home and then as you said peza's hand is kind of being forced by the department of finance to actually do a, what i think is a 90 10. so 90 percent office 10 percent work from home and that kind of leaves the firms like concentrics kind of uh, stuck between uh two difficult decisions um 
Some firms are going to leave the PESA program. I think you've probably, you, you cited that Concentric said they will leave the PESA program. Uh, I do believe some will. I, I think that that can be a little tricky. It's not as easy as saying, well, we're out. See you later, Peza. Um, there are kind of back taxes and other things to reconcile, which it sounds like is no fun to do. But I think some firms feel that in the long run, it's in their best interest, and so they will do so. I think others are just going to comply for now. I think a majority probably will comply for now. They'll bring in 90% of their workforce and just say, hopefully, you know, this this uh, as the new administration comes in, hopefully uh, we'll get some relief from this 90-10 and maybe find a compromise at 70-30, as Peza had kind of suggested before, and maybe the employees will compromise with their firms and will go, okay, 70-30 and everyone's kind of happy and these firms can stay in the PESA program. Um, that makes logical sense to me that the two sides can find the compromise. The government does need BPO operators, you know, and, and they probably recognize that without the tax incentives, without PESA, et cetera, um, a BPO operation in Manila isn't as attractive as, as with those incentives. Um, and of course, the Philippines faces worldwide competition, as Derek, you'd know better than anyone right now in the BPO market. So we have to continue to be as competitive as possible to make sure seats get sent to the Philippines rather than many of the other uh, countries which are now becoming, you know, realistic destinations. So I would just say, you know, talk to me again in about six to eight months. And I think these things will sort themselves out. My guess, again, is that uh, they find a compromise, probably the 70-30 work from office, work from home. A lot more firms end up staying in PESA because of that. But new entrants just don't don't join the PESA program because they are not going to get the uh, the old incentive scheme anyway. So they probably won't find it's worth it. Yeah, my, my sort of uh, interpretation of the situation is that Pez's hands are tied, really. The the law was written at a time when these economic zones were linked and connected to the physical space in which you, uh, you know, you, you put your business. And now, you know, that was sort of decades ago, and it just was inconceivable that you could run a business sort of outside of a physical space. And also the physical space allowed the tracking of these businesses because yes. now that everything has kind of gone digital and actually the the certainly the size of your physical space bears no relationship necessarily now to the amount of people that you employ or the nature of your business the the law is just not sort of or the the sort of authority is not really um it's not really capable of adjusting to the new way of doing work do you think that that would would be updated or like, because it seems that the motivation is there from PESA to kind of update how they respond to the taxation law that's being created for them. You know? Do you think that it could effectively be adjusted so that it's based on the business as opposed to the physical premises from where the business operates? I think it could to an extent, and that's why I do see kind of compromise in the future. I think that the the DOF um, does probably recognize this uh, and will cede some ground eventually, or, or, you know, the new president, Marcos, will probably see the situation for what it is and say, you know, have his DOF lighten up a little bit. But I think there's always one other consideration, and I do kind of give the government credit for having to, to consider this in a way that our BPO sector doesn't. There are these economic ecosystems built around office parks and, and premises and the like, and these are, you know, 
the tricycle drivers and other forms of transportation. These are the restaurants and the banks and all the other retail that supports it. Um, you know, they don't want to shock the the econ economics of, of the people who work around the office mm. buildings, but not in them, right? And so you do have that. And if you just have everyone kind of pick up and move home and work from home overnight and a bunch of empty office buildings, uh, that is a problem for a certain, you know, part of the citizenry, which isn't the BPO worker. And the government has to worry about those folks as well in a way that maybe the BPO locators don't. Um, and I, I do think that that factors in a little bit also to the DOF wanting people back in the office to try and revive that sector of the economy to help out those citizens as well. And, and truth be told, you know, to help, it, it probably does also help the developers who built out a lot of retail around these, you know, office parks and it's sitting empty. It's not making any revenue. It's not making any taxes for the city, et cetera, et cetera. They want to revive that part too. And having people back in the office is part of that. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. There's, there's a lot more to consider than just the sort of personal needs of each BPO. And uh, DTI is taking that angle, isn't it? Like they're really eager to get people back to the office to get the commercial centers moving again, and as you said, to support all of the auxiliary industry, which is, which is also a very, very fair point. And of course, like the BPO sector is, is so, it's such an, in, uh, such a, critical part of the economy now isn't it that i suppose any levers that they have to sort of try and maneuver the industry they're going to try and use those um, because it the industry can't just think of itself it needs to think of that entire ecosystem as you say yeah it's fascinating isn't it yeah it's a conundrum a conundrum morgan and um so morgan as we as we go back and kind of uh, well, I suppose, you know, you mentioned Bongbong Marcos as a new incoming president, um, you know, without getting political in any <laughs> respect, but um, does he have any sort of uh, mandates in terms of um, new property development? Does he want more development in Metro Manila or less development or more development in the provinces? Or, or is that really uh, completely unknown at this, this point in time? <laughs> you know, I honestly have no idea what any of his positions are on any issues. Um, he he, he kind of won with the most issue-free campaign I think I've ever seen. So all I can do is speculate, but I would say that we could probably expect the closest thing to a continuation of the last administration is probably Marcos and, of course, Sarah Duterte, who's the current president's daughter. So my guess is that their goals are going to be similarly aligned. Um, Duterte, uh, the current president, certainly wanted to move a lot of commercial activity out of Metro Manila and decongest Metro Manila. And I would say he he's done some things to do that. He moved a lot of government agencies. He changed the PESA accreditation to move it into the provinces, stopped you know accrediting most new office buildings in Metro Manila. He's done some things along those lines. I would expect a lot of continuation of those kind of policies. Um, and from a strictly office perspective, I, I was would be interested to see if, let's say, you know, Bong Bong Marcos lifted something called the Administrative Order Number 18, which uh, did put that moratorium on new PESA building accreditations in Metro Manila. Uh, the the I would say the the BPO industry really didn't like that. Uh, the developers really didn't like that, and uh, that's one of those policies which I wouldn't be shocked if they reversed it. And I, I kind of hope they do for the existing PESA companies um, to be able to choose amongst more office buildings. Um, 
but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I can't really say much other than it seems like s closest to status quo as we were going to get amongst the candidates. A wait and see. And with any international locators or you know FDI, have you seen any apprehension of the of the new um, president? Uh, are people waiting and seeing, or it's not really on people's radars? They're they're just going ahead with their plans. I think it's quite a bit wait and see, including even locally. Um, the cabinet is now being announced. Uh, I oftentimes don't know, you know, the backgrounds of a lot of these uh, appointees, but from people who do know, seem to be okay with them so far. A lot of technocrats, no one too shocking, no one too uh, controversial. Um, and so that's good. I have had some international clients say, hey, Morgan, you know, how does this new administration affect things? And my answer has always had to be, we, we just really don't know yet. We have to wait and see. Um, you did reference, and it was interesting, kind of Duterte, you know, signing that foreign investment legislation on the way out. I would like to see how that pans out, but he's really opened up ownership in a lot of important industries to, you know, foreign investors. And I would expect in a lot of ways that will be good for this country. Um, we saw the REITs coming in already. You know, that was that was something that was happening even kind of pre-pandemic. Um, so we are seeing opportunities now for foreign money to find way to invest in this country in in ways that they couldn't have at all, even just five years ago. I do see that as encouraging. Got it. And finally, Morgan, the uh, the new normal. Like you, uh, look. I think I think there's sort of a seismic shift in what has happened to the office environment and and how businesses are going to be run into the future. Uh, and you know that affects a lot of people, a big part of the industry, and also affects the city centres and things like that. Are you generally optimistic about the new normal? Uh, you know. I I think at least there's going to be prosperity and there's going to be a lot of growth. And that that sort of, uh, I suppose, covers a lot of the cracks of any change, doesn't it? As long as there's sort of prosperity and growth, it will, it will make a comfortable landing for any change. Are you, I suppose, optimistic or pessimistic about city centers and commercial office space in, in the near future? Yeah, I'm very bullish. I am optimistic on the Philippines. Um, and I say that because I was in this job to kind of witness what happened after the here in the Philippines after the uh, um, the GFC, right? Uh, the, the global uh, financial crisis of kind of 2008, 2009. And by about 2010, this office market here in the Philippines really took off. Uh, and kind of stayed that way through most of the 2010s. Uh, and the reason was that, you know, firms going th who went through the GFC in America, Australia, Europe, et cetera, just branched out more, diversified and, and cut costs and sent a lot more seats here to the Philippines. And I expect that to kind of happen again. Um, mm. I think, you know, if you believe that the U.S. is going into recession or is already in a recession, you have to imagine Europe at least follows. I don't, I'm not as sure about Australia and New Zealand. But when that happens, I think that these, you know, firms who are in cost-cutting mode in these recession-hit areas do tend to look at India, Philippines, et cetera, and find ways to move seats over here or just create new seats over here. And that tends to be very good for this office market and in turn the economy and for employment of Filipinos. And so if you you know, anyone who believes like I do that the U.S. has got some tough economic times ahead and Europe's got some tough economic times ahead, that's probably actually a good thing 
uh, for the Philippines. And that makes me pretty bullish about life here. I hate to have it come at the expense of, you know, my <laughs> my fellow Americans or, or Europeans or the like. Um, but I, I do expect that to happen. Sure. It is. It's it's counter cyclical, isn't it? You know, and Very. It, um, it's you know, it's fascinating. Like it, back in the last recession or, or the GFC, there was still quite a lot of barriers to outsourcing, whereas I think it's now getting more and more normalized and the barriers are coming down and the friction is less. And so, you know, again, we've also with COVID as well, we've had these sort of um, lifestyle changes about what it means to work remotely and using digital interfaces. So again, just the barriers are, are sort of lower and the friction is so much less to people just starting this outsourcing thing. And if there is a recession and people are looking to cut costs, then it, it just becomes more normalized and, and eventually it will become a default, won't it? It uh, could be exciting times indeed for the Philippines. Yeah, totally agree. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Morgan. Again, it's, it's fascinating talking to you. Morgan, as always, um, I recommend people reach out to you if they need to know about the Manila or Philippine property environment, specifically commercial, but, but really anything, uh, reach out and have a conversation to Morgan. Uh, it's, it's invaluable. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, Morgan, or, or know more, how can they do that? Yeah, just find me on LinkedIn, please. Uh, you'll probably see my name here in the podcast description. Just find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. We'll go from there. That's the easiest way. Got it. That's Morgan McGilvray. And I'll put the link for LinkedIn in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Morgan. Thanks for having me, Derek. That was Morgan McGilvray of Santos Knight Frank. As always, if you want to get in touch with Morgan or know anything about what we discussed in this episode, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.